House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Who else would it be? I keep trying to get Dave to take the reins. Oh, no. <laughs> Does when anybody really want to, that? Yes. When are you going to take the reins so I can take a break? I'm getting old. Can't, I, you know, I'm going to be dead, rotten in this chair if you don't <laughs> take over soon. Have to have the, uh, the listeners uh, take a poll. Yeah. Well, they like you. Come on, they just do. think about it. They're all Why? like, you know, because I'm the real, because you're just so nice. And so, oh, you know, yeah, after all nice. They don't you're know polite me. and you're all that. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, you know, a little girly stuff. And, and I just, I'm really mean. I've gotten so many emails about treating you like garbage. <laughs> you should walk out. I'm, I'm leaving, Al. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm all alone again with my cat and my dog, whatever. And it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Have you been watching that trial? No, you uh, don't watch anything. You no, know, I stay away, crazy. far away from that stuff as I can. Well, yeah, no, it's just weird because I saw, I just caught a flash of it. You know, it was on the screen there going in that Kenosha shooting trial down there. You know, that kid that had the uh, AR-15 and walked mm-hmm. through the street and shot people and killed them. And just a 17-year-old kid. Just terrible. Yeah. Feel sorry for him, but you know he did it. He needs to pay for it. Just hmm. crazy. Uh, but you know, uh, keep your AR-15 in your basement, okay? I shall. <laughs> you can't hide it under your dress. No. Yeah. No, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're off being awfully friendly. What's that sticking out? No, I'm. Um, anyway, I disguise it as my third leg. Yeah. <laughs> In a dress. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of dresses, we've got a, a writer um, out of uh, Canada. Uh, and he's uh, got a book out called Jailed. It's a fast-paced thriller that keeps you guessing to the very end. So uh, welcome, Mr. Robert P. French. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's only beginning, you know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Well, that's interesting. Now, you you were not born in Vancouver. You're not a Canadian to start with. You you were imported, right? Uh, I'm a Canadian in every way except for the place that I was born. Uh, I was I was born in England and uh, uh, came here quite quite young. I was 27 when I came here. Oh, 20 yeah, 27 when I came here. And over that time, I have become, as far as I'm concerned, completely Canadian. The only two things that I have that are still British is my accent, which I'm kind of stuck with, and my sense of humor. But apart from that, I never think of myself as British anymore. So you're a dry Canadian. I don't know about that. I like a drink now and again. Well, so so now you started doing this uh, career of writing. This isn't your first career. You were doing something else, right? You were a yeah. software software developer and actor. So, um, why why the jump? Why the change um, to writing? Well, um, after years in the software business, 
um, I wanted to do something that would express myself arti more artistically rather than um, scientifically and logically. And so I'd, be, I'd always been interested in acting. In fact, it was my original career choice that my parents talked me out of. Um, so I, it was, I guess acting was one of those things I had to do. And I really enjoyed acting, and I was quite good at it. But I wasn't good enough to be world class. And so um, writing was something else I'd always done. And uh, as a... 20-year-old, I remember writing a book of horror stories on a, an Underwood typewriter, and I still had the typewritten um, stories, but I'll never publish them because they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I decided I, I'd like to try writing, and um, I went through uh, what you might call an apprenticeship or baptism by fire, if you prefer, um, until I actually published the first book. Yeah, it's an interesting process. It's it's, it's really um, it can be very challenging if you're not real confident. Um, I, I I wonder was there a particular event or a certain thing that um, gave you that confidence to be able to think you could write and publish it? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, I guess. Um, I tend to be fairly confident, generally. Um, but when I started writing, I didn't, I didn't start it so much as uh, to, to, to be successful at it. I just wanted to get it out of my system, more or less. Um, what had happened was that um, I was a, a principal in a company, it was a high-tech company, and uh, we were going to all become billionaires, but we didn't. And so uh, when that uh, billionaireship didn't happen, um, I kind of went home and um, made a few phone calls, tried to get some consulting work, as that's what techies do when they're out of work. And I got fed up with making phone calls, and I thought, you know, I've got this idea for a story. I'm going to write it. So I just sat at my keyboard and started writing. And... Uh, in that first day, I started about three in the afternoon and finished after midnight, and I wrote 7,000 words. And I have never since written that many words in a day. <laughs> <laughs> the book was crap, but what the heck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. You mentioned, uh, you know, you had a, uh, on your bio that you had a failed attempt at uh, writing a novel. And I like that you mentioned that because, you know, most people think it's easy you know, they think it's, it's like writing a grocery list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but it's, it's a real craft, isn't it? It is a craft, yeah. And uh, I learned the craft slowly, uh, maybe because I'm a bit stupid and a bit arrogant. Um, <laughs> but I figured, well, you know, I'm an avid reader. I'm sure I'll be able to write books just easy. So I started this first book, and I got to about 30, 40, 50,000 words. And... I realized it was getting really quite boring and I was running out of steam with it. And I had a book that dated back to the 1960s called The Writer's Handbook. And uh, I flipped that open and I found an essay that said, when you get stuck, write a different book. So I wrote a different book and that was equally bad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, so I... Uh, 
it never really occurred, uh, maybe I'm just stupid, it never really occurred to me to go take lessons in this. Um, so um, I just kept writing until I finally found a theme that worked for me. Um, and it was based on some of my business experiences, and I actually completed a whole novel. And uh, I uh, took the novel, and it was, uh, this was for the days when um, publishers and agents would accept email uh, submissions. <laughs> so I spent a small fortune with Canada Post and sent out 130 um, uh, copies of this book, um, with, uh, with begging letters attached. And I got back 72 rejections. So in my, uh, my arrogance, I thought, <laughs> hmm, can't be the book. Must be the way I, <laughs> must be the way I write the letters. <laughs> so, uh, coincidentally, uh, I, I ran across the Surrey International Writers Conference which you probably know about. It's uh, one of the biggest conferences, if not the biggest, in North America. And so I went to that with the purpose of learning how to, you know, write a pitch and how to submit to agents. And when I got there, I took the first few classes and I realized that I don't have a clue what I'm doing with this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back and did huge amount of editing and I also really lucked in I found a wonderful editor in New York um, and I uh, hired her to do an evaluation of the book sent her the book and she sent me back a, a wonderful 30 page report um, and sh she's just she's just too good to say it in these terms but she basically said yeah, this isn't going to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, at the time, I, I was doing some contract work uh, as, a, uh, as a project manager for a software company. And every day as I, I went into work, I had to, uh, it was in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is where all the drug things happen. And every day I'd have to pick my way around needles left on the sidewalk. And I would walk past the entrance to this alleyway every day that was like teeming with drug addicts. Now they, it was their, their, their meeting room, their bedrooms, their toilets, it was everything. And I remember thinking, what would it be like to wake up in that alley in the morning? I mean, just, just think about it. You wake up in a place like that. And I mentioned this to my editor, and she started asking me questions, and I thought about her questions and started answering them, and that's how my first book started, um, which is a, a drug-addicted ex-cop wakes up in, an alley, in that specific alley. Mm. And uh, yeah. with the help... Uh, and. Uh, uh, the, my editor then was uh, uh, Lisa Rector Mass, and she mentored me through the first two books, and she was just wonderful. She actually taught me how to write because everything up until then was not that great. So, um, so that's the story of how the Cal Rogan series came to be, 
and yeah. uh, how I just published the seventh book in the series. Well, you know, it's interesting. How do you how do you put yourself into that position? Um, do you, did you actually dress up in an old cop uniform and go? sleep in the alley for the night or um, uh, <laughs> like how, like how do you how do you um get like do you have to get into the scene so to speak um just in your mind or can you I, like how does it work for you i do it uh, partially in my mind but uh also i i, I sometimes uh, walk the route as it were um quite often um when i'm writing i'll wander down to the place where I'm, I'm writing about and actually wander into the alley. And I did that, but I didn't actually go and sleep there. Um, uh, <laughs> I, uh, but in the question of getting, getting into it, um, this wasn't a choice for me, um, but I write in the first person singular tense. Uh, first person singular present tense, beg your pardon. <laughs> And I find that write, and I feel obligated to write that way. I can't write any other way. And it, it makes me kind of mentally live what's going on while I'm writing. Um, so when I'm writing from the, the point of view of uh, my protagonist, Cal Rogan, um, I go through the process of thinking what he's thinking and writing down what he's thinking and seeing what he's seeing so um so that's how i but i don't uh, i've never put on a cop's uniform and slept in an alley <laughs> oh, but you should try it it's a lot of fun yeah <laughs> yeah um well i must say that, that my protagonist is a lot braver than i am so i don't think you're going to see me in an alley anytime soon well in the same vein i was wondering because uh, you've you've acted your former actor. Uh, do you find that your acting back background helps you to create that, to uh, create your characters? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, and it's as, as much that, you know, I've read lots of plays, and the interesting thing about a play is it's, it's immediate, you have to tell your whole story in two hours or so. Um, and so as an actor, I can put myself into the headspace of my characters. Um, another thing, although I write in the first person present tense, I break what is supposedly a rule that I do have multiple points of view. Um, mm. So each time I write a chapter as a character, I put the character's name at the top of the chapter so that the reader recognizes who is actually speaking. Um, so uh, I think my acting background was helpful in doing that, to get it, getting to know the characters. You know, um, when you when you talk about you have a character through all these books that you're sort of uh, following, like that Cal Rogan, um, how much of you is in that character? That's interesting. Um, Cal Rogan uh, in the books is currently uh, 44. And I, I will keep him going in real time. And... Um, he's very much like I was at 44. I mean, he's a lot physically braver than, than I am, or, or was then. Um, but he's a lot like I was at that time. Um, and uh, so, uh, 
to, to get his reactions to things and, you know, his romantic life. And, and I, I draw on my own experiences when I was his age. Mm, you can remember back then. Ah, yes, just <laughs> in the dim and distant past. <laughs> Well, it's when dinosaurs <laughs> roamed the earth. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, I was like, he had the old quill pen, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's it's interesting because um, when you put yourself in a character, which I think that we have to in order to write a character, mm. there has to be some of us in it, mm -hmm. um, that kind of makes it a little bit... Um, you're exposing yourself in a sense. You're being made vulnerable by putting out some of your own um, characteristics mm -hmm. on paper for everybody to see, and especially nowadays, because now there's the, the way the social media has taken off. Uh, everybody and their dog can send you a message or see it. Yeah, indeed. You know, so I, I, how do you, does that, is that a tough thing for you to overcome? Or do you think about it even? I occasionally think uh, about the fact that uh, I'm exposing parts of my own psyche. Um, but it doesn't really bother me that much. Um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to do it. When you, um, when you write your characters, uh, like Carl, can you, can you hear the, their voices in your head? Um, do you have an inner monologue? Is it more like translating what you're seeing uh, into images, uh, images into prose? Uh, both of the above. Um, I, I've, I've got quite a strong visual component in how my mind works, so I, I see the scenes quite clearly, um, but also I, I speak the character's voice in my mind. Um, a couple of characters who, whom I've just got to love that uh, I introduced a couple of books back are two, uh, two guys, two alcoholics who live on the street and who knew Cal when he was an alcoholic, when he was a drug addict living on the streets. And I love these two characters, and I, I, know, I know what their voices sound like, I know what they look like, um, I know, you know what, how they're going to react. Um, and when I'm writing dialogue from their point of view, or writing their dialogue from somebody else's point of view, I, I can, I really hear their, hear their words. Hmm. Do they ever tell you to do strange things? <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk said. about that. <laughs> we, won't, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> we won't tell anybody. Just, okay, just give okay, it to okay. us. Fine. Come on, we know. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know. Did you, did you walk down the road talking to yourself? And start uh, actually, uh, I, I sometimes <laughs> walk down, down the road not talking out loud to myself, but talking dialogue in my head. Um, so, so yes. Uh, but, um, no, it, it's, uh, uh, it, I don't quite know how, how to, ex how to express this, but, um, yeah, the, the, I don't know, the, the words just come to me. Uh, it's, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I'll write something and I'll say, gosh, maybe that would be offensive to, for somebody. And then, then I think, yeah, except that's what he would say. So that's what he's going to say. Yeah. So, uh, 
does that sort of worry you, like with the with the way the I don't know. I don't want to get into the woke thing, but the the whole idea of um, when you're writing something and you're having a character, and the character sometimes may not be, I guess, politically correct or, or polite, let's just say, or have any have good manners. Mm-hmm. So, but does that worry you with maybe a backlash for having some sort of something that he says or does that can? You know, well, I um, never worry about that, really, because everything I, I write is going to offend somebody. Um, in in jail, um, I decided to incorporate the fact that we're living in COVID land. So my characters wear masks uh, when they have to, and um, they, um, uh, you know, they... That adds interest because you can't always tell when somebody's lying when they're wearing a mask. So it makes uh, fighting crime that much more difficult. Um, and that offended one of my readers, who is an anti, <laughs> anti-mask, anti-vaxxer. So, um, and I, you know, that's her opinion, and uh, it's not my opinion, but it, it, and whatever I write is going to offend somebody. One of the two characters I mentioned, the two alcoholics who live on the street, one of them is an indigenous Canadian. And in, in a book I referred to him as a native Canadian. And somebody said that that was not really the right way to do it. Um, but he was actually saying those words himself. So, yeah, I'm going to leave it. <clears throat> yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, you said that um, you know basically what your characters will do, but I know I know you write by the seat of your pants. Has has a character done anything that has uh, surprised you? Have have they gone off the rails kind of and, and done things that maybe you didn't expect? Um, yes, yes. Um, in <clears throat> I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but in one of my books, my um, my main character, Cal Rogan, is a, he, he's a great upholder of justice. And in one of my books, he kills somebody. Um, and um, I wasn't expecting that when I wrote the book. Um, but, um, in fact, he kills two people. And one of them is a, a real problem for him. Um, in many, in many ways. I wasn't expecting that, but it happened. Um, in another book, um, something happened as I was finishing the ending of the book, and it ended quite differently from how I was planning, because one of the characters did something that I think was completely in, in character for that person to do. With my first book, um, Junkie, I didn't know who the murderer was till about 70% into the book. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people kind of kind of plot or outline so they know where it's going to end, mm-hmm. and then they work their way to that. But you, you sort of just jump right in and, and work it. I, I, I do. Um, and... You know, I'm constantly re... I've got a general plan of where the book's going, but I constantly replan because something will, ha- will happen 
that was unexpected. It wasn't part, wasn't part of the plan. You know, it's like life happens when you're making other plans. Um, well, mm. for me, writing happens when I was making other plans. Um, and so I will change the, change the book and go back and change things in the previous part just because something really interesting has happened <coughs> 40% into the book or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, you get a surprise. Mm. So when you're sleeping down on the street with the needles, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden something different happens and you didn't, didn't realize, mm. and so you have to go and change the book. Yeah, yeah. Someone steals your underwear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or worse, <laughs> steals your beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the importance. Yeah. Well, how do you, then how would you describe characters to listeners so like I, I ask this for a lot of fiction writers and I get answers like you know they're they're like my children they're like uh, my family I get all sorts of, of you know kind of crazy answers actually um, so <laughs> how is it that you describe your characters to you who are they to you I guess Cal is a, a younger version of me and he's braver than I am um, and um, he's driven in a similar way to the way I was driven at his age. Um, <clears throat> the two characters who live on the streets, um, they're friends. Um, in research, I, I, I spend, uh, have spent, prior to COVID, every working day in the Vancouver Public Library, which is where I've been writing. Um, and I got to meet um, a homeless man there who was one of the, probably the best read man I have ever met. And I based a character in, in my first book uh, on him. And so I've come to know quite a lot of uh, people on, who are on what might, one might say the margins of society hang out at the Vancouver Public Library, and I've got to know a lot of them. And so the two homeless characters are, are like friends of mine. Um, and I really like both of them. Um, uh, my, my protagonist has a daughter, who in the first book is eight, and is now 14. And um, she is a mixture of two of my granddaughters. Um, so, um, so I love her like a granddaughter. <laughs> so I do have a relationship with, with most of the characters. Um, an interesting one is, is um, Cal's former wife. And um, I don't really know how she, how I came upon her, but she's just kind of grew. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, I think she'd be one of those people, uh, you know, a, a woman whom I like as a friend um, and would be good buddies with and would go and have a drink with. Uh, but I would never personally have a romantic attachment to her. One of the books in the series, Stand Alone, or, of course, you want them to read them all. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if someone picked up just one, would it be okay? Absolutely, yeah. They all... They all stand alone um, uh, pretty much. I mean, in the same way as Michael Connolly's books stand alone, but it's kind of nice to know Harry Bosch's history and uh, 
uh, as uh, as you read. And there's only um, there's only one thing. I made what I think now is a mistake in my third book. I ended it on a cliffhanger, which I had to deal with in the fourth book. I wish I hadn't done that because um, it leaves the third book incomplete um, and it makes so somebody who just picks up the fourth book doesn't quite get what's going on. Right. So uh, that was a mistake. So it's only the third and fourth books that probably need to be read in sequence, but all the others stand alone just fine. Yeah. Michael Connolly. I think he writes, doesn't he? He does, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's that good. But, um, yeah. I mean, he, he gets by, you know. I, I was asked, asked by an interviewer um, who would I invite to a dinner party, and Michael Connolly was on that list. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I can give you his number. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to presume. No, uh, he's not that nice anyway. But, no. Oh, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. He is, yeah. he is, he's wonderful. They all are. They all, they, just, they, they know my sense of humor. <laughs> that's, that's okay. um, well, that's interesting. So um, when we get to um, the new book, Jailed, um, when someone takes that book home and reads it, um, just like even the others in a way, um, is there some sort of subtext or some sort of thing that you want people to get out of the book besides the fast-paced thriller and the story itself on the top. Is there something else going on? Yeah. Uh, one of my personal interests is moral philosophy. And I always, without being preachy, I always like to slip in a couple of issues of moral philosophy into every book. And uh, the premise of jail is that there's an innocent uh, young man in jail for, a, for accused of committing the murder of his girlfriend. And after much persuading, Cal decides to work on getting him out of jail. And um, a couple of issues come up there. Uh, one is, um, in the, you know, I'm very interested in the Innocence Project in, in the States, and there's one in Canada as well, that get innocent people out of jail. And one of the things I believe um, is that we shouldn't, put people in jail as punishment. We should put people in jail for just two things. One is to stop them recommitting their crime if it's a crime that harms people. And two, to rehabilitate them. And um, unfortunately, we don't seem to do a good job in, in North America or in Britain for that matter of rehabilitating criminals. But I don't believe in punishment per se. Um, I'm all about rehabilitation and public safety. So that is something that runs through the book a little bit. Um, and uh, also there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, a point where, um, um, there's a relationship between two people that um, a lot of people find objectionable. But I actually have a character who defends the relationship uh, on, 
on grounds of, of, of moral, of morality. So, um, so I always kind of put those into the books. But I think the, the key story in jail is, you know, that how do you get an innocent person out of jail? Uh, especially when the forensic evidence is overwhelming. And of course, forensics is everything these days. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's always so hard. You know, I've had quite a few of the uh, innocence projects out of the U.S. on the show, and I've talked to quite a few of them. Wow. You know, it's really tough. They, they spend a lot. It's so difficult for them to get um, the proper justice. It's, it takes so long, so much time. And it seems like the um, prosecution holds on to it no matter what. There's, there's, there's so many times that they just don't don't want to just let it go. You know, it's it's almost like it's personal. Um, it's strange. It, it is. Uh, a good friend of mine is a quite a famous um, Canadian criminal lawyer, and um, uh, he he says that uh, the law has become competition. Um, you know, the prosecutors. They want to win. That's all they want to do. Not all of them, not all of them, but many of them, all they want to do is win. And I think that's particularly true in the United States. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and plus they televise everything. Mm. And, and how can you actually perform your job correctly if you're, if you're being watched by millions of people? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You, you you play for the camera, or you or you know, or every time you you walk in every day, they're talking about the suit you're wearing or the tie, or did you gain weight, mm-hmm. or did you lose hair, or did you? I, I don't know how you can do a job and and just and focus on the job and not be focused on all the noise around you. Yeah, I know it's it's uh, you you phrased that perfectly as well. It is just noise, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that in the hierarchy in a, a, a district attorney's office or a crown prosecutor's office, it really matters that you win lots of cases. Um, and certainly for defense lawyers, if you win lots of cases, you will get a lot of new clients. So it really matters to you. But that doesn't really serve justice anymore. And, no. and the law and justice are two sometimes opposing factors. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy the, the, the things that you see going on. And um, it's becoming more entertainment right now than, than about getting some, some sort of resolution or get something solved or, or take bad people off the street or, or rehabilitate them, as you say. It's, it's not about that. It's about uh, how Nancy Grace looks, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. <laughs> she's she's a friend, so it's okay. <laughs> I give her a bad time uh, because she wears the worst pantsuits. Come on, <laughs> Jesus, girl, you got some money. That's smart enough. Um, but uh, yeah, but it it becomes more about them than the case or the justice. It's, it's no longer about okay, we've got this person that did this, and let's let's fix this, to stop him from doing it, and let's fix it. We don't spend enough money on that, not even close. You're, you're right. And you put your finger on what is a general malaise of society is every damn thing has become entertainment now. Um, back in the days when they started the History Channel, guess what it was about? 
It was about history. history. <laughs> <laughs> now it's about all sorts of nonsense. Yeah. Say with the Dark Dynasty and, and, and Honey Boo Boo and all that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolutely crazy. I don't even, yeah, I don't. That's why I've strayed. Mm -hmm. I, I go into, now I watch Smithsonian or I watch uh, Curiosity Street mm -hmm. because they're kind of how it used to be on history and discovery and all that. That's right. That's, that's absolutely right, yeah. It's, it's awful. I, you know, the other is just all fluff. Mm -hmm. um, I can't believe how much garbage is on those channels mm. but um and it is you know, the they, won't, it, it, they won't be hiring me <laughs> <laughs> well i won't tell them what you said yeah well yeah yeah we'll keep it secret. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, the other thing that's become entertainment to a large extent is the news um you know yeah. don't tell me that fox news is about news don't tell me that cnn is any more about news um, it's about opinions, and uh, I, I used to watch CNN a lot. I tend to lean slightly leftward, um, yeah. and I watch CNN a lot. I've stopped watching them. I, I, the only two news channels I watch are BBC and CBS. And I know that CBS is a good news channel because it's actually pretty boring most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have these glitzy personalities that, uh, that the other channels seem to have um, yeah. but everything's everything has got to be entertainment and that's been the death of news yeah 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 and it's too much about these personalities again mm -hmm. you know judge janine Pirro, or you got you know all these different megan kelly had all these different news people that are they're they're knockouts you know mm -hmm. they got like these you know botox bodies and and they scream a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's no. It, it isn't reporting news anymore. No, no, no. That's it's 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 a negative place to go. It is. You know, it is. I just yeah, stay away from there. BBC at least is again. It, it's it's on the verge of boring, but it's presenting news stories a lot more than uh, you know what's going on with the American networks. Mm -hmm. Plus, plus the BBC. Um, if you listen to the BBC World Service. It's the only channel where you'll get to hear in detail what's going on in other parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I know when we were in the studio before, like uh, recording on a Seattle like, a few years, and when they were landing that, uh, that uh, rocket on the uh, moving meteorite, and it was on the BBC, mm -hmm. they were watching it live, and then on CNN's feed and Fox's feed, they were talking about Kim Kardashian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and it's just, it kind of just shows you, like, uh, people have no idea what's happening. They're, they're talking about Kim Kardashian. Well, you, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned this. I, I mentioned to you about uh, the, uh, the interview I had where I said I would invite Michael Connolly to dinner. The other question is, whose dinner parties would you avoid? And my answer was anyone with the last name Kardashian or Jenner or anyone from reality TV. Yeah, just absolutely the craziest people on earth, and they have money. Mm -hmm. that's, that's even scary. Mm -hmm. Totally insane. Yeah. No control. People who are famous um, for being famous. 
Yeah, and and you know, and I, you know, I could care less myself, you know. But the the sad thing is, the young generation, the younger kids, look at that as an inspiration, and that's what they want to be. Mm. They're not looking to be a great singer or a great writer or a great actor or a great mathematician. They're looking to be a great uh, YouTube film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they want to look like. Yeah, I'm going to be an influencer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wear my makeup a certain way. I'm going to get injections in my butt and my cheeks, and and I'll have it made. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, fortunately, the statistics are probably one in a million actually gets to be a, an influencer. Yeah. Well, you know, but they, you know, nobody ever looks at that, especially when you're young. Mm -hmm. You're you're going to be the one. Oh, so. Yes. So where are you going to go with this, speaking of it? Because you're a pretty young chap still. So, mm, yes. <laughs> you know, you got you got a lot of years to kick here. So what, where, where do you go from uh, here? Are you, going to, are you going to continue in this thriller kind of mystery format? Is that kind of where you're, you're situated? You, you love it? Yeah, or, I like, are you going to... yeah, I like the format. Um, I know I've, one of my books is more of a political thriller, um, but... You know, Canadian politics ain't that thrilling, so... <laughs> you got Justin Trudeau ripping his shirt off at a parade. <laughs> no, no, I'm a writer, not a sadist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah but, so I will continue with the Cal Rogan series, because I, I love the characters, I love the books. But I do have another series that I, I'm, I've, I've started on, um, which is... The same genre, it will still be kind of the, the mystery thriller, but uh, my protagonist's 14-year-old uh, daughter will be the hero of this series, and it will be set in you know, 2035 to 2040, that sort of range. So not science fiction, there will be no science fiction in it, because I love science fiction as a reader, but not, I don't want to write it. Um, but I do have some very interesting thoughts about where society is going, where artificial intelligence is going, uh, where, where communications are going. And so I'm going to just create a, uh, an a world in 2035, 2040, um, where um, my protagonist's daughter can be a detective. And uh, hopefully I'll live long enough to find out if I was right about anything. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be drooling in the old age home. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all this stuff will happen, you know. Something like to look forward to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, get, get one of your, yeah. I, it's so that's, it's kind of interesting that you, um, you say that. So um, after, after all is said and done, I wonder if um, I, I, I wonder if some things will come true mm. that you write. Do you ever think about being able to guess and kind of put into into sort of your book what's going to happen in the future, and then all of a sudden some of it happens? Well, in the, in this new series, um, I won't put into the book anything that. Um, is wildly infeasible. There won't be any time travel or any of that nonsense. But uh, and most of the things will be things. You know, I keep 
up, up in the world of what's going on in the world of high tech. And most of the things in the book will be things that are either in existence now or in labs now being worked on. Um, but there's some, there are some social issues that I think will be interesting. Um, and one of them is, um, um, is around artificial intelligence. Um, you, you remember the Westworld uh, yeah. uh, series. Well, yeah. it, Westworld isn't on my radar as such, but I do think it's um, very feasible that by uh, you know, 2035, 2040, that prostitution will be carried out by um, robots um, and um, or robotic devices and and data, uh, and, and visual you know, virtual reality as well. Um, so I, I, I'm putting that in into the book um, and. Uh, um, well, what am I going to do for work? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't leave much for me. Taking your job away, Al. Yeah, taking my job away. What are you gonna? It's not me. It's, uh, it's technology. Society. Yeah. yeah, there goes there goes my life. Blame you know? Google. I got. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got. You know, I'm always given. Uh, writers uh, really good advice on what they should do with their next book and you know and 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 i have a great idea for you too <laughs> okay. okay so so this kel rogan guy right you should make him joe rogan's brother <laughs> <laughs> so so he uh he, he does all this 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 weird stuff too he takes ivermectin and all that when he's got cold and <laughs> And you start having him kind of go off the deep end, and it starts affecting him mentally, and he you know, starts getting weird. And, and and then he starts going to these rallies, and, and he starts waiting for JFK Jr. to come back from, from the dead. <laughs> and Hitler's coming from the moon, and, and the world is flat, and he starts getting really crazy. Just think about it. That would be fun. Yeah. It's all... <laughs> I always get the same response, too. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it's all yours, um, no charge. Just take it, run with okay, it. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe uh, Cal can stop obsessing about heroin and start obsessing about ivermectin. Yeah. Well, think about it. Yeah, it's cheaper. Come on, yeah. easier to get. Well, you know, nowadays. Maybe we, maybe we could get it. On, maybe we could get it on the Canadian healthcare system. Yeah, it'll be free soon. Come on. <laughs> Mandatory. How was COVID for you? As in, like, did it affect you when you were writing and researching? And I guess the library probably closed down mm -hmm. at times, and there was, you know, kind of strange things. You know, because there's a real strange sense when when it shut everything shuts down, and um, there's a weird feeling through the air, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a it can be stressful, it could be upsetting, or it might be who knows. Everyone deals with it differently, mm -hmm. but. So when you're sitting there at home and all this weird stuff's going on around you, did you, 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 you sort of, did it affect the way you wrote? I mean, I, I hear some writers that say they shut right down, they couldn't do it, and other ones said, no, it was great, they had a good time, and everything worked for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, COVID changed my life in many ways. Um, when COVID started, uh, there I was in Vancouver, and if you'd have said to me... Um, 
Before this COVID is over, you'll be living in a town with a population of 43,000 people. You'll have two cats and a dog. I would have said to them, you're out of your frigging mind. (laughs) (laughs) But here I am in a town of 43,000 people with two cats and a dog and a wife and a child. (laughs) Um, Well, there you go. Yeah, but uh, from the point of view of writing, COVID was a negative for me. Uh, One, because um, despite my many years, I have a a 10-year-old son. And um, we decided not to put him back in school. Um, but, you know, by, by the end of the, the school year of, uh, when was it, 2019, um, we uh, decided not to put him back in school. So I've been homeschooling him, which is previously I was going to the library six days a week and writing. So now I only get to write two full days a week. Um, and little bits um, during the weekdays. So it it did affect the the speed of output. But in terms of the actual writing, um, when I write, kind of everything else falls away. So I don't think about COVID unless I'm writing it in the book. Um, And although I've lost, writing hours, I may have been gained writing productivity. So I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I, want, I wonder, I always ask people if, 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 if the, the, that kind of stress or darkness, unsureness uh, of things around you, I wonder if that seeps into your writing in a way. I wonder, because it, it, it's so much based on your what's processing in your head at the time mm. when you're writing. I wonder if it can get a little bit maybe darker because of it. It could do. I mean, there are there's quite a few dark sides in my book, any, in my books anyway. Yeah. Um, was jail darker than previous books? I think it's one of those no, things that, you know, know, you'll look back in years from now and maybe see something that you didn't see today Mm -hmm. you know because it's still kind of around yeah and it's still still a big influence on on our day-to-day lives but if you think in in 10 years when it's no longer uh, hopefully no longer anything that we talk about every single day or it's not affecting the way we behave that maybe when that stress is relieved a little bit um you'll see or pick up things that you probably didn't have because, you know, it's got your attention right now still, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you go out to your anti-mask rallies and all that, right? (laughs) 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 And, and, you know, you know, so that, you know, you're so active doing all that, that maybe, you know. (laughs) Just on on that issue, I was first in line for the vaccine. As soon as I was eligible, (laughs) I was there. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just one of those things, mm-hmm. you know. It must be the bubble people grow into yeah. and, and who's around them and what they believe if they really – it's it's really strange how there's mm-hmm. – you know, if, if you think the Bilderbergs killed Diana for landmines, maybe you'll think the government's, you know, mm-hmm. going to put Bill Gates' chip in your arm. Because it's like – I love that particular conspiracy theory because – 
you don't really <laughs> need to know a lot of science to know that if a chip is too small to be seen, its battery cannot exist. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, we, we've had guests on telling us that, you know, that they know masks don't work because they stand beside another guy and he farts and you can smell it. So, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, my God, really? You're, you're that? Okay. You know? And they're writers. They're published writers. And I used to always think that, you know, yeah. you know, but it's crazy. Uh, so it's kind of at the point where you just kind of got to laugh it off and, and this, this too will pass mm -hmm. like everything else. Mm -hmm. And it'll be something else in 10 years, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. You know, so, yeah. So do you have like a, um, website? I a do. place that you like to interact with people? Where do you like to see, uh, readers send things or, or do you like to talk to your readers? I, I love to talk to my <laughs> readers. I have a, a mailing list of 7,000 of them. And I, I, I love the, the, one of the joys of writing for me is the interaction with the readers. Um, you know, people will send me an email saying, I just finished such and such a book. Oh, it was so good. It reminded me of when I was, and I've had, a, you know, in, in, the, in the first book, uh, 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 Cal Rogan is a drug addict. I've had tons of drug addicts contact me. Um, and uh, I haven't bought a single thing from them, I, I will say. Uh, but I've got a lot of reactions. No, you supply, you supply. <laughs> no, good <laughs> heavens, no. <laughs> anyway, that was a, an aside. Uh, yeah, the, people can contact me through my website, which is robertpfrench.com, or on Facebook, which I'm uh, Robert P. French author. And uh, you can get any of my books at Amazon by... Um, searching for Robert P. French. Yeah. Um, of course, we'll have that on the website. People can get one click and then they can hunt you down. <laughs> <laughs> hunt me down in Penticton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's the place to be. Yes. Um, well, it's been a pleasure. Likewise, um, I've loved this. It's been great. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, people listening, we were talking about the book Jailed, and this is the book you need to buy. If you're going to buy one book for Christmas, you have to buy this one. And that's all I can say. And our guest was the author, Robert P. French. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks, Robert. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.